welcome back to another podcast episode on the name of the wind by patrick rothfuss we're talking about mood and tone used in the book to help you how mood and tone is being used throughout the book and what some specific examples that we have here i'm gonna be honest i do not know the chapters that I read this week, I kind of went a little bit crazy, and I overread, so I read, like, two weeks worth of reading, because it got really good, but it's an interesting book, but it was really good, and I just read and read and read, and suddenly I was way past where I was supposed to stop for this week, so we're kind of out of checks, but, um, anyways, let's get started. First quote that I have, one really stood out to me because I remember exactly how I felt reading this. Like it's very memorable. And yeah, so I'll just jump into it. It says Ambrose was leaning toward her, speaking in a low voice. She had the distinctly uncomfortable look of a woman who knows the futility of a polite refusal. One of his hands rested on her knee while the other arm was draped across the back of her chair, his hand resting on her neck. He meant for it to look tender and affectionate, but there was a tension in her body like that of a startled deer. The truth was he was holding her there, the same way you hold a dog by the scruff of his neck to keep it from running off. And that's all on page 310. The mood that this creates, it's like very uncomfortable and almost frightening, but also like enraging it enraging enraging that's not a word enraging at the same time maybe it's because i'm a girl and i kind of feel for her but like this vivid description it's like disgusting and but also like you know how it feels to be like i can't say no and especially the more that we learn about ambrose's character it makes sense for why she can't say no because he's rich and powerful um but It makes you mad at this audacity that he can even do this just because he is rich and powerful and that she can't do anything about it. And this immediately sets up, like, a tone for Ambrose's entire character. So this one paragraph makes you just loathe him from this action. Even if he turned out to be, like, a good character or, like, a helping or, like, went through a whole character arc to be a friend, you'd still have that, ugh feeling about this one thing that he did like it's just so disgusting like he would never be able to forget it and so the tone that it's written in uh quoth says it disgusting that he feels bad for this girl and the comparison of like a startled deer and a dog the way you're holding a dog by the scruff of its neck it's like he's comparing it to mistreating animals to the girl being like just a scared startled like defenseless almost and absolutely disgusted and that's what really conveys the mood the tone that was written conveys that mood that I got while reading it so I think this was a really good example of how the author uses the tone and the mood and this imagery because it's so vivid like you either been in the situation you know someone that's been in the situation or you've seen it happen and so it's like you can see it happening in front of you as you read it. It's very vivid image, a lot of vivid imagery that he uses. Um, the next quote, it's not a great example, but 
it still is an example. It says, Oh, we certainly didn't relish the thought of someone hurting him, stabbing him with bitter irons, searing him with hot coals, that sort of thing. But just because he didn't like the thoughts of his blood on the outside didn't mean he was really afraid of those things. He just didn't want them to happen. To really fear something, you have to dwell on it. And since there was nothing that preyed on Bass' waking mind in this fashion, there's nothing his heart truly feared. This tone is kind of painful, thoughtful. It leads to making a point about fear that is made through this little interlude chapter. And the paragraph brings up the images of pain and fear and discomfort. Because the stabbing him with the bitter iron, searing him with hot coals, makes you like cringe a little like, oh, that's icky. Like, I don't want that to happen. It's uncomfortable. But it definitely leads into making this point, which I think is interesting use of the tone because you wouldn't think that it would be going about this is a, these painful things are only discomforts, they're not fears. And so the next quote is like the second part as it really gets into this talk about fears. And so it says, uh, Bast breathed in again, 17. He fought not to wring his hands as he waited for the deep silence to invade the room. He waited for it to crystallize and show its teeth on the edges of the cool quiet that had pooled in the waystone. He knew how it came, like the frost that bleeds out of the winter ground, hardening the clear water that an early thaw leaves in the wagon ruts. The tone of this is fearful, uncomfortable, and like cold. Maybe that's just because of the vivid imagery to winter makes you feel cold, but it makes you just kind of like shiver. It's written to give like this to give you that feeling of past fears through the figurative language and this vivid imagery. The comparison to the silence in the winter brings like like I said like again like chills. Like you think of a silence that's so like deep and like full of signs and harsh thoughts. It makes you think of like harsh and frightening winters, like bitterly cold, bitter and cold. And even though I'd never experienced a harsh winter living in Arizona all my life, it still makes like brings up the imagery of blizzards and cold and ice and ugh. and the act of like wringing his hands and counting his breath throughout the whole chapter really brings a sense of like fear and anxiety to the chapter, but also the paragraph like. His fear, he like physically shows his fears and makes you kind of feel it. the wringing of the hands, the like setting his teeth on edge. I think it's really cool. I, th- I like this paragraph because in mainly this whole chapter because it looks again at the silence and it's silence is almost being used as a what's the word for it? Miss Prunk uses it way too much. Um. It's like a metaphor, a tool that the author is using throughout the book. Because in the prologue, we talk a lot about the three different silences, and this brings it up again. There's another silence, and even throughout the story that Quoth is telling, he's like tells like bitter silence. Whenever something bad happens, it's bitterly silence. And whenever anything good happens, it's usually brought about by music. Whenever think, whenever tides are about to change. There's lots of music in the life, so I think, which is obviously the opposite of silence, so I think that's a really cool tool that's used in here, which is not about tone or anything, but it is an interesting thing to look at in that particular quote. Um, this next quote is really deep. It, I think I actually cried. It's sad, but it, 
I cried this is the imagery was really strong but I'll get into it without spoiling because it goes into my explanation but in my heart I was clutching it with a white knuckled fierceness I cannot hope for you to understand this when the Chandrian killed my troop they destroyed every piece of family and home I'd ever known but in some ways it had been worse since my father's loot was broken in Terabine it had been like losing a limb an eye a vital organ Without my music, I had wandered to Rabin for years, half alive, like a crippled veteran or one of the walking dead. The root of this expert is definitely a deep sense of like melancholy and intense grief. It's like this little raggedy flute with broken strings and stuff and like everything is the only thing that it's triggering all these memories and the loss of his music and loss of his father create strong emotions as a reader. I remember crying because it's suddenly the deep wave of guilt that he like holds in so often. Like the floodgates release for a little bit and he just feels that grief as he's holding this loot, this reminder of home. And I think this is also a like I said before with the silence and the music, this is signaling almost a turn of tide. Like he lost his music and he's about to get it back and this might help him get through things a little bit more. This little loot might help turn the tides, but we don't know. So I think that's a really interesting quote. Thank you for coming to this another episode of this podcast. Um, hopefully I get a good good grade this first gallon crossing my fingers um i'll see you guys next week have a good day love you goodbye i don't know <laughs>